Hi there, everyone. I trust that you're doing well and that God's hand is on your life, God's divine favors on your life. I'm really excited about this new series that we are embarking on. It's entitled One of a Kind. And today we're going to be focused on the great Samuel, the prophet Samuel from Scripture. Each week I'm going to be taking you through different Bible characters and we want to be inspired by their lives just as they followed God and were dedicated to God. I want to see what life lessons or leadership lessons or character lessons we can take out of their lives. That's why they were written. That's why their accounts were recorded in scripture, that we may learn from them, that we may be inspired by them. Father, may you come and have your way here in our midst. May you speak to us. May you teach us. May you ignite something in us, Lord, so that the Samuels of today would be raised up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, by way of introduction and background, I want to share with you a few facts about Samuel. He was born in around 1100 BC, and his hometown was Ramah, located in the hill country of Ephraim. He was a Levite, okay, so that's the priestly tribe. He was a Levite from the descendants of Kohath, and Samuel was the last of the judges, okay, and he was also described as the first of the prophets, but really, um, I would say the first of the major prophets, because uh, prior to his time, there were people described as seers, who in many ways were really prophets. He was even described as a seer himself. Uh, there were also those who were just described as a man of God. A man of God came and told us this. A man of God came and prophesied this. Uh, so he's described as the last of the judges, the first of really the major prophets, and also the anointer of kings and the counselor of kings. So he was there in a transition period. And I just think it's so profound when God can actually use someone to transition his people from one age to another, as it were. Imagine God entrusted you with that kind of responsibility. In Acts chapter 3, verse 24, it says, Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And that's where we get the sense of him being the first of a certain type of prophet. And then in Acts chapter 13, verse 20, it says, All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Okay, so he was known as a prophet, but he functioned as a judge. So Samuel, Samuel literally ushered in a new day for Israel. And could it be that there's a new day coming for your entire family or for your industry or for your nation? And God is entrusting you to transition his people into doing this. This is one of the marks of a leader, by the way. Leaders move people through change. Leaders take people from A to B. Could it be that God is calling you to do a similar thing? So in this message, we're going to study key events in Samuel's life, and we're going to see why God could trust him with such a responsibility. You know, in Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul states, as a prisoner for the Lord, some translations say as a prisoner for Christ's sake, Okay, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, brethren, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You see, our lifestyle should match our calling. If there's a calling you've received, then you must be living a life worthy of that calling. You see, when more believers understand this principle that um, God has given them an assignment, has called them to something great, but their lifestyle must match that because often that's where the tests are. It's to do with our lifestyle. Well, guess what? I believe that God is raising up such a people. And I believe that the more we think in this particular way, the more of us will then be qualified to be used by God in certain ways. You see, he calls us, but then there's certain tests we go through where our lifestyles have to match the calling, right? In order for him to actually end up using us. And I believe that in this day and age, there are many people who are called by God but few are chosen to actually end up doing what God has called them to do because their lifestyles didn't match the calling. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but this is a very important principle. He takes you through tests. And there's so many tests that uh, Samuel 
would have gone through and he passed those tests and God was able to actually use him. You see, there's a reason why Samuel is included in the great hall of faith that is mentioned in the book of Hebrews. And in this message, we're going to explore why he was one of a kind. In Hebrews 11 verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. So he was included in that hall of faith. And I'm going to show you why he would have been included. So Samuel was regarded highly by the Lord. He was indeed one of a kind. So let's embark on this journey and explore a few things about him. What I find interesting about Samuel is that his birth was important. It was actually important. And he's one of the few people in scripture where we actually have a detailed birth narrative right, about him. We've got a detailed birth narrative with regards to Jesus, obviously, right, uh, detailed birth narrative with regards to um, uh, John the Baptist. We've got a detailed birth narrative around very specific people, but there's so many famous people in scripture greatly used by God, and we don't know that much about the circumstances around their birth, but uh, Samuel's birth and the process of his birth was very significant. We can't talk about Samuel without talking about Hannah and what she went through. So <clears throat> in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through to 24, I'm going to unpack this for you a little bit. There was a certain man, all right, and then it describes where Elkanah was from. Elkanah was Samuel's father, right? He was from the hill country of Ephraim, right? And uh, it continues to talk about him. And then in verse 2, it says he had two wives, one was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever they came, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where you are struggling with something. There's something you're so desperate for and you're being mocked and you're being ridiculed. I want to encourage you. I know some of you have been there, but a lot of great things can be birthed from that pain that you are going through, right? She turned her pain into progress and we know the rest of the account, but I'm going to go into it. This went on year after year. Imagine that. This was not a once-off. This is someone who stayed in the same vicinity as you, continuously mocking you. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? So you can see where Elkanah is coming from. He's like, come on, am I not enough for you? Right? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. And I believe that some of you are going through certain things in your life where God is saying, stand up now, stand up and engage in that warfare, stand up and birth my purpose for this generation. Yes, you've been wronged, but you're not a victim. Don't keep talking from a place of victim stance. Hannah stood up. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house, right? In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. The prayer of a righteous man, the earnest, heartfelt, fervent prayer of the righteous man, the Bible tells us in the book of James, right, is powerful and effective, right? And righteous man, that includes righteous woman also, obviously, right? And we see Hannah doing this. It says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord. Are you struggling? Are you going through difficulties in your life? right? Embrace that anguish that you're experiencing and turn it into powerful prayer. Turn it into powerful supplication. Turn it into powerful petitions. God hears you. He's attentive to our prayers, the Bible says. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, 
Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Now, I want to just say this. She keeps describing herself as a servant of the Lord, which is very significant. You don't find a lot of women in scripture actually describing themselves as that, right? Saying, I'm your servant, Lord, use me. But she knew that she was a servant of God. And I believe that her purpose was really great because she was the one who became a custodian for what God was uh, giving Israel as a solution. And not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. That's quite something, isn't it? That's extremely powerful. That's a bit like what Abram went through with Isaac. Okay, when God said, are you going to give me your firstborn son? Look what she's saying. The very thing that she longed for, she was willing to give over to the Lord. And she gave it over to the Lord before she had actually received this gift. I think that's so powerful. That is extremely powerful. It's, it's great when you can make a vow before you've actually seen the fulfillment of a promise. Okay, And what she's actually doing is a sign of great faith. Right. She's already making a vow before she's actually seen um, what she's asking for. Right. Um, Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, not just for a period. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, this was very similar to Samson, who was a Nazarite. Okay, that's what the Nazarites would do. And so this is a vow that she was making. And uh, one of the things to understand in scripture is that husbands could reverse the vows that their wives had made. Okay, and I'll show you that a little bit later. But Elkanah doesn't do so. He allows his wife to express her heart. And I think that's quite significant. So it's significant that she referred to herself as a servant of God continuously. Okay, and you know, in ancient times, they understood servanthood. They understood servanthood. Uh, And I've done a whole teaching on this before, but um, the whole concept of being a servant is you, you are bandaged to someone, you know, almost in bondage to someone, right? And you're choosing to do so. You're at the complete disposal of another, right? So it was very significant and she understood that. So it tells you something about Hannah and the type of woman that she was. I keep asking myself this question, what would have happened if Hannah had not been so desperate? What would have happened if Hannah was not dedicated to God herself? She wouldn't have dedicated her son to the Lord, okay? She wouldn't have prayed this type of prayer. For certain things to happen in our society today, someone needs to birth it. Someone needs to birth it. We cannot talk about the great Samuel without talking about how great his mother was in what she birthed. This is important to understand. It says in verse 12, as she kept on praying to the Lord, so it was not a once-off prayer, right? As she kept on pushing in the spirit, as it were, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. People will misunderstand you. People will think you are crazy, even religious people. But you're just someone who's desperate for God and desperate for your breakthrough. And you don't mind how undignified you end up looking. Remember, Eli was sitting down, but she stood up and she was just pushing, pushing, pushing in the spirit. She goes on to say, not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who's deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. I find this very interesting, very interesting. Hannah could have taken offense and she could have stopped talking to the priest, but she didn't. She could have taken offense and decided, you know what? These guys don't understand me. How can this priest say this? How can she say that I'm drunk? How can he say that I'm drunk? Okay, but she didn't take offense. She was so desperate for her breakthrough. There was no room to be offended by uh, the unfair judgments that she was experiencing. Okay, it is also interesting that she associated drunkenness with wicked women. Okay, she associated drunkenness with wicked women. And what's so sad in our society today is a lot of people go out, get drunk, and they talk about it and boast about it like it's just a normal part of life. And it's what normal people do. 
all right? But when she was falsely accused that she had been drinking too much and that she was drunk, she says, do not mistake me for a wicked woman, okay? So she associated drunkenness with being a wicked woman, all right? Or being a wicked man. And it's important to understand this. We're going back to scripture and we're trying to see how did these ancients live? What is the holiness like in their lives? And I believe that there's something we can learn uh, from obviously Samuel, who we'll go into, but we cannot separate the conversation about Samuel uh, from the conversation about uh, Hannah. Okay. Eli answered, Go in peace. She was so desperate for the blessing, wasn't she? Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Verse 18, she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. So a couple of times she describes herself as a servant of the Lord. And now she's saying, may your servant find favor in your eyes, a servant of Eli, the priest. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Verse 19, early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. You see, Samuel means the Lord has heard. The Lord has heard. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and, will give, and, will and he will live there always. And look what he says in verse 23, do what seems best to you. He wasn't a controlling husband. What would have happened? If he had been a controlling husband, what would have happened if he had been a husband who had reversed her vow? Just think about it. I'm wanting to show you that for Samuel to become what he became, there were parents who were godly that he had, and uh, there were decisions, choices that they made, okay? Freedom they gave to each other so that the purpose of God could be birthed in that generation, right? Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. It is significant that he wasn't controlling as a husband. He trusted how his wife was led by the Lord, you see. Um, and if you want to look at how a husband had the power to reverse the wife's vows, you can look in Numbers 36 to 15, okay, uh, just as a reference. Now, let's go to verse 24. After he was weaned, this is talking about Samuel, she took the boy with her. Young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of um, flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. Imagine what she might have gone through emotionally. I mean, she had, she had now weaned him, right? But imagine the bonding that had taken place between her and her son during that period, right? But she was a godly woman who basically needed to keep her vow, right? And um, she said, I prayed for this child. So she knew the power of her prayers. And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. Has God given you things that you had prayed for? Are you willing to give those things back to God? She did that with Samuel. Or are those things becoming an idol in your life? And if you look throughout the life of Samuel, things didn't have him. Okay, He had things, but they didn't have him. Right. If you compare him with other people uh, during that time period, certain things had them. Right. His mother was willing to let go of something that she had prayed for. Let's make sure we do the same. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshipped the Lord there. That's very powerful. What would have happened if Samuel's mother had not dedicated him? What would have happened if Hannah had not been so desperate in the first place? 
All of this shows me that there's no self-made man. All of us have a need for destiny helpers. We need destiny helpers in our lives. Okay? Let, let, let me share with you even in terms of my own life. You know, I was born on a Sunday, right? And uh, everyone was at church. And when my mom gave birth to me, you know, uh, one of the things she said was, you know what? I really would have liked a girl, right? But I've got another boy, right? I'm second born. I've got another boy, but he's born on a Sunday. Lord, may you use him for your purposes. I dedicate him to you, all right? And I don't know if she fully understood the impact of what she was doing, but I want to encourage you, mothers, do that. Fathers, do that. There's power in giving your children to the Lord and saying, God, use them for your purposes, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean they'll be pastors, but it means they'll be greatly used by God in whatever sphere of influence God has called them to. Very important, the power of dedication. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 17 to 26, let's continue. It's now talking about what was taking place during those days. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. So Phineas and Hophni, they were the priests there. They were the sons of Eli, and they were doing a lot of dodgy things, right? They were taking bribes. They were forcing people to give them their sacrifice, you know, pieces of meat, etc. They were sleeping with some of the people who would come uh, and make sacrifices and so on. Some of the ladies, etc. It was really bad, all right? The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. I mean, if you know that there are certain sins that are very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Isn't it interesting that Samuel was being raised in this environment where uh, there were corrupt priests, but he didn't fall. He didn't go their way. He remained strong. And that's a lesson we learn from his life. That doesn't matter what people around you are doing, right? Um, you stay strong in the Lord. You stay focused. You stay set apart. And many of us today tend to lower our standards, change our value system because of what's happening around us. Or we get offended. He could have been like, mom, I want to go back with you. Remember, each year she would come and make a sacrifice and so on and give him certain things, etc., clothing and so on. She could have said, I want to go back. The system is corrupt. These guys are dodgy, you know. These people who I'm supposed to be looking up to, look what they're doing. Look at Eli's sons. He could have used that as an excuse to go back to his home area, but he didn't, okay? It says he continued ministering before the Lord. In verse 19, each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife saying, may the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. When you give to the Lord, when you give to the Lord, he replaces what you have given with much more. You can never outgive God. We must be willing to let go, willing to let go. Is there something you're holding on to in your life right now thinking, I have to hold on, it because, hold on to it because it's the only one I've got. It's the only thing I've got and now it's become an idol. Be willing to let go, all right? Um, then they would go home and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters, okay? That's five more kids. And then when you hear the song of Hannah, when she is singing, she talks about seven kids. So I don't know if there was an additional one that came through here. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Are your children growing up in the presence of the Lord? Okay. Samuel walked in holiness despite the poor role models he saw in Eli's sons. Think about it. Here's this small boy. And then he sees these maybe teenagers or young adults doing dodgy things. He could have thought to himself, well, that's how it's supposed to be done. But he knew better. Verse 22, now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the woman who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? We're talking about priests taking advantage of the people, technically speaking, on staff or the people who were serving. 
And this is happening today. It's happening in different parts of the world, in different churches and so on, right? And these are things that grieve the Lord, right? And so Eli addressed it and he rebuked them. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about the wicked deeds, these wicked deeds of yours. Now, my question is, at what point did Eli discover what his sons were doing? Was it now when he was old? Did he try to address it earlier on? You know, he's talking about it almost like it's his first time hearing about it, right? But there's no record. So we mustn't be quick to judge. There's no record of how he dealt with it before, all right? It just says later on in scripture that, or elsewhere in scripture that um, you knew what your children were doing, but you did not restrain them, okay? That's what it says. Are there things that your kids are doing, but you're not disciplining them for that? Are there things that your children are doing, but you're not restraining them? Right? It becomes very difficult to restrain them when they've grown up. So he's saying to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Okay, now there's a whole discussion we can have if we want to unpack that, right? But we won't. Verse 26, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. When God raises you up, you grow in favor with the Lord and with people. It's as if God is the one who promotes one and puts down another. And you can see this process taking place. Your ministry should grow and develop just like Samuel's did from a young age. Samuel came from a priestly tribe, all right? He was a prophet from a young age, and then he was established as a judge after one of the national victories, right? So it's important to understand your gift mix. In different seasons of his life, he was functioning differently. And sometimes we like to put ourselves into this box and say, this is me. This is my type of ministry. This is what I'm like. You know, and we mention just one thing. I'm a pastor. I'm an evangelist. But sometimes there's gift mix and our gift mix is not the same. All right. He functioned as a judge, dealing with people's disputes, doing that circuit in different towns, going from town to town. All right. He was also a prophet. He was established as a prophet. And we see that in, um, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, how it describes his prophetic ministry. All right. Uh, but he was also from a priestly tribe and did the work of a priest. All right. And sometimes people can ask you, so what are you? And it's a bit of a mouthful and you don't quite know what to say. And you're like sometimes confused because you're like, Lord, you've given me this, but you've also given me this. And I'm equally passionate about both. And that's okay. That's your gift mix. That's your gift mix. And the thing to understand is that life is lived in seasons. So sometimes you'll do different things in different seasons of your life. Sometimes you'll be all three in the same season. All right. And you now have to know what's needed for each moment of my life. It's important to understand that. Okay, so we each have a unique gift mix and it's important to understand that we're not all the same. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through to 11, let me now share with you this narrative. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. It's so important to be submitted. It's so important to be submitted because that's where you'll learn ministry. That's where you'll learn business. But okay. it says he ministered before the Lord under Eli. Okay. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. I want to say this to you. Don't judge the next move of God based on the current paucity of heavenly manifestations. Just because there isn't a powerful move of God that you've seen in the past, it doesn't mean that God cannot use you to break through and to break out revival. It's important to understand this. Okay, the, the, the thing I want to go into is to just share with you an experience of his calling. Verse two, one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel answered, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, 
Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. See, you need someone to be there to mentor you in terms of hearing God's voice and being able to discern, was this God? Is this something else? Is this someone else? Now, Samuel did not, know, did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Has the word of the Lord been revealed to you where you can recognize the voice of God, where you know, this is God, this is my flesh, this is the enemy, okay? A third time, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So maybe it wasn't even his mind, in Eli's mind, that it could be God. But then he realized, wait a minute, I know this guy is only a boy, but maybe it's actually the Lord. And I believe that it's our role as parents, it's our role as father figures, mother figures, to actually help the next generation discern the voice of the Lord. Help the next generation see that, wait a minute, that dream you had wasn't just a pizza dream. That dream you had was from the Lord. Hey, this is how you interpret it, right? Because they had never been acquainted with the voice of the Lord. And it's our role to be able to help them. Eli played a crucial role in the development of Samuel. Okay, The Lord came and stood there calling as at other times. Okay, Because Eli basically told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down his, uh, in, this, in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at other times. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from the beginning to the end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. All right. Imagine that's the first word he gets from the Lord. Now, prior to this, there was a man of God, it says there's a man of God who had given that word to Eli, all right? So a word had been released to Eli, and now what is happening is Samuel was in a place of having to now share this, and Eli almost forced him to do so. He says, tell me, what did the Lord say to you? You know, tell me everything, and if you don't tell me, then, you know, uh, it will not go well for you. So he ended up sharing everything, and I believe that was a test for Samuel, right? Imagine that first prophetic word you get is a word of judgment. Um, then the next thing is, it was a test, I believe. You know, are you willing to actually share the truth, even if it's a hard truth? Okay. Imagine this is the guy who's who you respect, guy who's taught you many things about ministry, and now you have to deliver this. Now, what would have happened if Eli had not helped Samuel to discern the voice of the Lord? He might have just thought, I'm going crazy here, right? You see, another principle we get here is that you're never too young to start. You're never too young to start. You know, sometimes a little boy might say, hey, God told me this, or I heard this, or I had this dream, or I saw this vision, and we discount it because of their age. We mustn't do so, right? You're never, you, you're never too young to start. It's also quite interesting that his first prophetic message was a word of judgment. What a test. What a test. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, 19 to 21, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. May your words not fall to the ground. Amen. And all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. So Samuel was established in the land. May you be established in the land. Okay. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. You know that if God has indeed called you, it will become evident to most, right? All of Israel recognized him as a prophet. You see, keep obeying God and let him establish you. 
He established Samuel. Keep obeying God and let him establish you. You see, there's a correlation between dedication and establishment. All he did was he just devoted himself to his calling. And God was the one who established him. Don't try to establish yourself. Don't try to establish yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 15 to 17. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. So he finished strong. Many people just serve God when they're young. Many people just serve God for half their lives, not their entire lives, right? Verse 16, from year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gigal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all these places, all those places, okay? Prophet, judge, priest, okay? But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Now, the Bible talks about how Samuel grew in wisdom and in stature, all right? May God bless you with the spirit of wisdom and revelation, because the more wisdom that you carry, the more revelation you carry, you're able to discern and to deal with disputes. This is a grace that was on Samuel, and it's established him as a leader, I believe, okay? Uh, same thing for people like Solomon. It established him as a leader because he had, a, he had that wisdom, that spirit of wisdom. Powerful prayer to pray is Isaiah chapter 11. I prayed this prayer since, I think, uh, 2008, when a friend of mine said, this is for you. It says, pray it regularly over your life. Right? It's the spirit of um, wisdom and revelation, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Powerful prayer to pray over yourself. Now, we see from this passage that clearly Samuel traveled a lot. And we don't know whether he took his sons with him or not. Okay, But we know that later on, his sons did not follow in his ways, in his footsteps. Okay, They also did dodgy things a bit like uh, Phineas and Hophni did, all right, as priests. And that's when the people ended up saying, listen, you're old now and your children, your sons are not following your ways. Give us a king. I wonder what would have happened if his sons were following his ways. Think about it, all right? So we know that this is what ended up taking place. We don't know if it's because he traveled so much. We don't know if he did not restrain his kids. We're not too sure about it. All we know is that similar scenario with what happened to Eli in terms of his sons not following his ways, we see the same thing happening with Samuel. Could it be that Eli mentored Samuel in so many areas, but maybe struggled to mentor him around parenting? We don't know. One thing I do know about mentorship is that no one person gives you everything. Very often you find that the person who mentors you in business might not be the same person who mentors you in parenting. person who mentors you in ministry might mentor you in ministry and parenting, but not be effective in mentoring you in business. Okay, It's important to have people in our lives around us who can give us input in all the major aspects of life. Okay, something for us to think about. First Samuel chapter 16, 1 to 3 says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Right now, Saul was basically now uh, not following God, not uh, being obedient. Okay, he was half obeying, right? And this grieved Samuel. One of the things I find about Samuel is that he was grieved by the sin of his king and the sin of the people. It says, uh, but the Lord says, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Maybe you are mourning for the sin of someone else. Maybe there was a leader who fell and you kind of haven't overcome that and moved on and continued to serve God. But God is saying to you, how long will you keep mourning for that particular person? Right? He says, since I've rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the king, to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. So he also had his fears. But what's great is that he actually spoke to the Lord about his fears. Okay, maybe God has given you an instruction and has said to you, do this or do that. And you're actually afraid and you actually have certain questions. Ask God, inquire of the Lord. Right? And God will encourage you. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come 
to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are not, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. All right. So Samuel was also human and he had his fears, but despite this, he still obeyed God. Now, some of us, we, we might be like, no, Lord, this, there's a cat. Maybe I haven't heard you correctly. Can't you see if I go and anoint David, I'll be killed by Saul. I'm going to play it safe. Are there aspects of your life where you're just playing it safe because of fear? Samuel obeyed God despite his fears. Okay. I like the fact that he was emotionally honest and asked God real questions. We're called to obey God's voice despite persecution and threats. What's stopping you from obeying God fully? One of the key things about Samuel's life that really stands out was obedience. Okay. Um, It also shows me in this passage, we also see that Samuel had a tender heart. He was grieved by Saul's sin and Saul's disobedience. Okay. Can you still mourn for those that have let you down? Can you still mourn for them? Can you still grieve with regards to their, their sin? Have you got a soft heart? And after grieving for some time, are you able to pick yourself up? Samuel could have hardened his heart. He could have hardened his heart. He could have said, you see, God, I told you. You said I must make this guy king. I went and I anointed him and look what he's done now. He's disobeyed you. Now, there are different ways and I'm not going to go deep into it because that's more to do with Saul's life. But there are different ways in which he was disobeying God. Okay. For example, the Lord would say, listen, go and uh, kill off the Amalekites. And Agag, the king of the Malachites, including him, everything, kill off, right? But then Saul did what was wise in his own eyes and he kept what was good. He kept the best in terms of livestock and also kept Agag alive, right? And then he goes and then he's now afraid of the people and he's thinking to himself, Ooh, okay, are we going to lose this next battle? Let me do the sacrifice because Samuel hasn't yet pitched up. He hasn't arrived at the appointed time. And as soon as he starts doing the sacrifice, what happens? Samuel arrives and Samuel is really, really upset. And Samuel ends up killing, uh, putting to death Agag in obedience to the Lord. Right. And, And it's interesting that interaction between Samuel and Saul, because Samuel is like, you must just obey. You haven't obeyed. And Saul is like, yeah, but hey, we actually killed them off. But He did what was wise in his own eyes. Hey, I did the sacrifice because you hadn't pitched up. You're not supposed to. You can't do that. It's something that a priest does. Okay, you're trespassing in the spirit. Uh, You know, with with many people, it's the end justifies the means, isn't it? Okay, are you doing what God said? Are you now fabricating what you think he said? Okay, it's important to understand this. Now, have you moved on from that grieving? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. This is where he's now selecting from the sons of Jesse. All right? For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's interesting how Samuel still looked at outward appearance when he was now sussing them out trying to see, okay, who's going to be the next king? And he thought maybe it was one of Jesse's sons who he first saw because of the height. And it's interesting, maybe he was impressed with that. Maybe he was impressed with looks and height, you know. But it's interesting that after having ministered at this point uh, between five to six decades, right, he had been in ministry. He was still going by outward appearance. But the good thing is that he heard the rebuke from God and obeyed God, which is so important. And perhaps it also shows us in our lives that we need to take uh, a a lesson here and learn from this because maybe we've still got certain entrenched biases based on our experience. You know, oh, if the last time God chose someone to be king, this guy was a head taller than everyone else. All right. And and very handsome. Right. Maybe he's going to do the same thing. Eh, Wrong answer. Maybe he's not. All right. And I think that Samuel was impressed with how Saul looked. Because if you study the time when he presented Saul to everyone, he said, have you, have you seen anyone like this in all of Israel? Okay, there's no one like him. And he was obviously talking about his stature, right? So I think he was impressed. And the Lord is just warning us here that he looks at the heart. In every circumstance in your life, when you select people, are you looking at the heart or are you focused on externals? 
Okay. Sometimes God wants to do something fresh and new. And of course, we know that it was David who was chosen to be king. Are there people who are in the shadows? Are there people who are behind the scenes that you're not even considering, but God has raised them up in the background? They've passed many tests. They've passed the test of obscurity where no one saw them, but God is wanting to raise them up. Are you discerning enough to notice those people? It's so important that as pastors, we notice those people as leaders in our communities, in our workplaces, we notice those people. It's not always the obvious person. In 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 through to 9, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. You see, it's dangerous to appoint your children when they don't carry your values or have your gifting. And many companies today are failing because of that. You know, there's this automatic thing like, hey, you know what, let's pass on. And I know that in those times, that was the natural thing to do. Now, it's great if they carry your vision and values, but we see that many times it's not the case. When we apply principles of succession planning, we must learn from these cases. We must learn from these cases. Look at verse 2. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba, but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. And these are the areas where Samuel was strong, but somehow that was not passed on to his, his children. They didn't have that same value system, okay? So let's be careful of judging Samuel with regards to his sons. We don't know where the gap was. You know, maybe his daughters were really great. I don't know. Verse four, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. I love the way he still prayed to the Lord, despite the fact that he was displeased at an emotional level. Right? He kept on inquiring of the Lord. He didn't just brush them off. You will not always be appreciated by the people that you've been leading. It's important to understand this. Imagine what it was like for him. He's been leading them all these years. He now puts his sons in leadership and so on. And they basically say, mm -mm, we want a king like the other nations. This whole judge thing and prophet-priest combo, etc. It's not working for us. Maybe he took it personally. Because later on, God actually says to him, don't worry. It says in verse 7, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. Okay. Very often we take things personally when people are actually rejecting God, not us. You know, we preach a message and people are offended, but they're actually offended with God. They're actually rejecting God, but we happen to be the vessels. Okay. Uh, the grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? So could it be that God was actually comforting Samuel? Comforting Samuel because Samuel might have been taking it personally. And many times we take things personally, but their behavior and their choices are a reflection of how people relate to God, isn't it? Okay. They wanted to be like the other nations, yet God wanted them to be a unique nation. Okay, And you see, it's not always easy to differentiate between rejecting God's messenger and rejecting God. Look at verse 8. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So basically saying, you know what? Let them have their own way, but tell them what the consequences are. See, often God will give you what you continuously demand, but remember that there are consequences. Just like with the quails in the wilderness, they cried out saying, we don't want this manna, right? And then they started eating quail that God had sent to them and um, a whole lot of them died, right? Because of the quail that they ate. Now, what are some leadership lessons 
that we can gain from the life of Samuel. The first one is obedience. Obedience. He continuously exhorted Israel to obey the Lord and he didn't sugarcoat things or mince his words. He did this from childhood until death. He finished strong. He ministered like this for well over 60 years, right? Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, look how he would speak, right? So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods, rid yourselves of the foreign gods and asterisks, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Okay? 1 Samuel chapter 12, 14 to 16. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. He continuously warned them about the consequences of their deeds. What things do those around you need to get rid of? And are you telling them? Are you telling them about the consequences of what they're doing? You see, even in the workplace, it's not your responsibility to make decisions on behalf of your boss to just decide everything and to rescue them. But you know what? When you report to someone, you need to communicate to them the consequences of their choices. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 15, 22 to 23. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of the rams. Now, Samuel said this after Saul kept making excuses for making a sacrifice, right? Because Samuel had delayed his arrival. Right? He was emphasizing that Saul should have obeyed God and killed Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and also not kept the best livestock. You know, sometimes we get into the flesh instead of just obeying God. Sometimes we think, you know what? Yes, I know I didn't fully obey God over there, but let me make this sacrifice. Let me just give a bit more. Let me do this. Let me do that. To obey is better than sacrifice. That is one of the most powerful scriptures in 1 Samuel to understand. I believe that there are a lot of people making so many different sacrifices, but they've compromised when it comes to obedience. In 1 Samuel 3, 18, it says, So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. And this was when uh, Samuel had that word of judgment. He told him everything. He told Eli everything, right, in obedience. So his obedience stands out, and he wasn't just obedient himself. He exhorted others to also walk in obedience. The second thing for me that really stands out in his life was prayer. In the book of Psalms, um, chapter 99, Psalms 99, verse 6, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. So Samuel's prayers were heard by God. And imagine that in the book of Psalms, it's highlighted that he's one of those, along with Moses and Aaron, who would call on the name of the Lord and God would answer. Imagine being known for that, you know, that, hey, you're the guy who, and God answers your prayers, right? Okay. His prayers were heard by God. Isn't it interesting that his name means the Lord has heard, the Lord hears, and that also applied to his life and how he carried himself, okay? Prophets must also be intercessors. This is so important. One of the functions of a prophet is to raise up intercessors. Prophets help people to hear God's voice for themselves. They don't make people just dependent on them. That's one of the things a lot of people get wrong today, you know. They don't understand that the New Testament prophet helps people to hear God for themselves. And I find it interesting that in Samuel's ministry, those who were around him, the prophetic spirit would often come upon them, which is very interesting. 
reading. It's almost New Testament-like in that there was an impartation, there was an activation. It wasn't just, oh, dependency on the, the one prophet, okay? The others around him started to also prophesy. So prophets must also be intercessors. In Jeremiah 15, verse 1, Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. So again, Samuel is placed in that same category as Moses. And this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Hey, even if Moses or Samuel stood before me, I wouldn't listen right? Imagine God saying that to someone. Hey, even if, even if, I mean, I would love that. Even if Paul, Nyamuda, says that, you know, uh, to me, prays to me, I won't even respond, right? It's like, wow, being in that category. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, 23, this is Samuel speaking. He says, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. That is such a powerful statement. He'd just been rebuking these people, talking to them about how they've disobeyed God, they've rejected God as their king. But then he says, but as for me, I don't want to sin against God by failing to pray for you. I don't want to sin against God by failing to pray for you. He considered failure to pray for them, failure to intercede as sin on his part. Prophets must be praying people, all right? Uh, and I believe we are a prophetic people and we must be standing in the gap on behalf of others. Uh, the third thing we learn from his life, a leadership lesson, is impartiality. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, 1 to 5, Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I'm old and gray and my sons are here with you. I've been your leader from my youth until this day. Are you able to say that? I've been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom I, who have I uh, oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I've done any of these things, I will make it right. Can you say that today? Can you say that today? They, they responded saying, you have not cheated and oppressed us. They replied, you have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you. And also his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. In many ways, we can say he finished strong. He did everything from a pure motive. May that be said of you. And then finally, I want to mention another leadership lesson, and that's change management. Samuel managed to transition Israel from a system of judges to its first monarchy. This is what leaders do. They can move people through change. Being able to move people through change is one of the marks of a great leader. It's quite remarkable to see that Samuel legitimized and counseled new kings despite the fact that this idea did not originally please him. You know, And this is a lesson for us. It's as though once he got instructions from God, right, he took his own emotions out of it and he executed the plan wholeheartedly. And this is an important leadership lesson for us. Many times we get very emotional about certain things and we end up sabotaging the very thing we're supposed to do. In conclusion, I want to say to you, the mantle on Samuel's life as a prophet was so strong that those around him tapped into it. He created a prophetic culture that valued dedication and obedience to the Lord. You know, in, in 1 Samuel 19, 18 to 24, when David was being pursued by Saul, he fled to where Samuel was and told him about it. And you know that each envoy that came to try to capture David, they began to prophesy. They saw Samuel there with some other prophetic people prophesying and they joined in and began to prophesy. Next envoy came in, joined in and began to prophesy until Saul himself came and then he began to prophesy. And that's why it was said amongst the people, you know, is Saul also amongst the prophets. And what we learn from all of these things, my prayer for you 
is that you would be so dedicated to what God has called you to do and that it would not end with you, but you would impart it to those around you and you would transform and you would influence the culture around you. My prayer is that whatever you are called to do, you will be so dedicated and uncompromising with regards to it in obedience to the Lord so that it transforms not just you and your household, but many others. May God raise up Samuels today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And I thank you that you're raising up those with that same type of spirit that Samuel had. Those who would live a life that was holy, a life that was obedient, a life that would impart that grace to others. I thank you, Father God, that you're raising up a generation of intercessors who will uh, stand in the gap on behalf of those around them. Those who walk in tenderness and mercy like he did. We thank you, Lord, for Samuel's life. And we thank you, Father, that you're raising up Samuel's in this generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.